Uh, I am with Laurie Schwartz. Hi, Laurie. Hi, Serge. So, Laurie, you started your professional life with uh, Rubenfeld Synergy? Yes, um, I did start with Rubenfeld, although that happened right when I came back from Africa and I was searching for what to do with my life. I didn't want to be a music teacher anymore. And so I entered into Jungian analysis and Gestalt therapy in 1978 and then went into Ilana Rubenfeld's training. And uh, that was the beginning of really learning how to be sensitive to my body and to the world of consciousness, of mindfulness, really. Yeah, so um, so from the beginning there was a sense that the psychological work you were going to do was going to be related to, uh, to body. And you went on to study massage therapy? Well, Ilana, those people who know Ilana, really synthesized Gestalt therapy with Feldenkrais work and Alexander work. And she called it Ruben, that's called Rubenfeld Synergy. And in order to be licensed to touch, because all the sessions were really done on the table, I proceeded to go to the Swedish Institute to get a massage license. And that got me interested in the relationship of emotions to meridians to evolution. So I did about a few years of just doing various body psychotherapies, um, like Jinshin Jitsu, Shiatsu, and it was a lot of hands-on work with Ilana and working through the body with emotions. Yeah. So, and you've studied also um, other modalities of touch, uh, touch for health. Well, um, my husband, Stuart Friedman, I met at Omega Institute, and he was teaching Touch for Health, and it so happened that every Sunday when we would do Feldenkrais exercises in Ilana's living room, people would really emote. And I thought, what is these movements that we're doing in Feldenkrais that's triggering all these emotions? And so Touch for Health was really kinesiology, testing every muscle and meridian, connecting it to the emotional body. Mm-hmm. So that was, again... I guess my interest in understanding the relationship between emotions and sensations, between movements and personal connections between people. And of course, Ilana's training, I think one of the gifts I got from it, aside from the fact that it was a beautiful community and we played a lot, is that we spent at least three or four months just learning how to be mindful before we even touch somebody. The whole message in Ilana's training was you have to be so connected to the world of sensation before you put your hands on someone. Very different from massage training. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that, that journey of your own um, uh, learning mindfulness and uh, um, this whole thing that you've been doing has been also experiencing these different methods. So what's your, you know, the, what's your experience in that area? Well, in the Rubenfeld training, we had sessions before every training weekend, and I was the youngest one in the training. Um, and there was a lot of opening and relaxing and letting emotions come through. It was a very organic, intuitive way she spoke and she taught. But I was also in Jungian analysis and training in Gestalt at the same time. 
and um, the most profound thing for me in retrospect was that I had a dream the first night before analysis um, that my therapist and I were embracing each other and our bodies were connecting and we were both naked and um, Jung says it takes about 20 years to understand the first dream Wow! and that dream to me really I'm coming full circle now it had to do with the wounded feminine with the attachment piece to my body as earth to a mother figure to being alive and having intimacy and so when Rubenfeld's synergy ended I did not feel confident to be a therapist Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel I had enough skill and my husband introduced me to Hakomi therapy we did a trade and so that got me very excited the Hakomi method so the Hakomi method was a way to uh, deepen the uh, body orientation but also to have to bring something more the training was so well organized I felt Mm -hmm. it was both trainings were experiential but in Hakomi we learn really practical tools of how to stay in the present moment and how to make contact with someone how to help them deepen in mindfulness how to go down into core organizing memories and beliefs how to work with transformation and the unmet need and then how to bring the person back out into the relationship so I felt like the Hakomi method gave me such a good structure and confidence because I could know what I was doing moment to moment it wasn't right. all purely intuitive so so really a sense of um, uh, mindfulness no longer being some kind of a mystical concept but exactly. really a sense of moment by moment attention and a how to and a sense of being able to, to master it to be able to do something about it exactly I mean I I was sitting there sort of like a lost person. We put the thing on the board, mindfulness, sensations, thoughts, feelings, memories, images, beliefs, impulses. It's like, how do you do that? Hmm. I remember the moment when I was dumbfounded before I actually could realize that mindfulness can be applied to everything in the Mm -hmm. psyche, to a dream, to a feeling. And so from that perspective... It really is the bridge, I think, to wholeness. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, um, your experience as a therapist and as somebody who experiences these therapies, um, what was it like for you to um, to experience Hakomi compared to what you had been um, accustomed to before? You know, my... Jungian analyst said to me when I came back from Boulder, I lived there for a year, he said, you're so much more relaxed. Mm. He said, you're so much more present. Um, he said, you're really here. And, it, and I thought, wow, he couldn't tell me I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. But he was able to tell me that he saw the changes in me mm. when I came back to work with him after the Hakomi mm-hmm. training. And so, um, maybe we continue the sense of this journey without going too much deeper in each specific thing, but you, uh, you're, you're still very involved uh, in Hakomi, in the Hakomi community, in the teaching, yeah. but you've also gone on to study other modalities. Right, you know, in the Hakomi method, 
we work with states of consciousness. Um, Hakomi actually means where do you stand in relation to the many realms. Mm-hmm. So there's the spiritual realm, the emotional realm, the physical realm. And yet a lot of Hakomi is done with eyes closed to give the person a lot of intra-psychic intimacy with themselves. Um, but because I think I had some blind spots with my own issue with aggression, a friend of mine introduced me to Lou Ormont in Modern Group Analysis, mm-hmm. which is sort of like maybe uh, a fifth cousin to Hakomi. The belief in Modern Analysis started by Spotnitz and Lou Ormont is that aggression is really important for all emotions. Mm-hmm. So in that training and in those groups, you're triggered to get angry and frustrated. So it was sort of like very different from Hakomi based on mindfulness and nourishment and staying in the present moment and letting the aggression come up. So I spent a few years in modern analysis and I think probably it was the bridge into somatic experiencing. So I want to maybe just slow down a little bit because um, what you were saying there is that um, you went to modern analysis because there was this emphasis on helping you connect with aggression and a sense in a way that what you're experiencing in these different methods is that each one has a special emphasis and then the journey has been a way to go and develop some different aspects of your personality. Um, is exactly. That I think, you know, I think um, sort of the wounded healer, um, sort of the trauma therapist who's been through everything Mm -hmm. on her own. So what I really provide for people is from the inside out experience. So I think I'm an experiential learner. And therefore, um, I had unmet needs to be able to be direct with aggression and some fear about it. And for whatever reason, um, I wasn't able to address them in my Hakomi training, not that it's not available. So I needed, Mm -hmm. for wholeness, I needed to be able to work with my aggression with people and not be afraid of it. So it provided really a lot more safety with direct emotional communication and actually lose messages not to be so mindful but to be relational in the present moment and to clear out the history by the new experience. So there's a lot of similarities between Hakomi and modern analysis. They all want to help you come into the present moment. Mm -hmm. They both want to help you be relational Mm -hmm. and give and receive love and um, all emotions and they both have that belief that all emotions are healthy I think modern analysis the absence of mindfulness um, direct emotional aggression and expression was there Um, And yet what was missing in modern analysis was mindfulness of sensation. Right, right. So in other words, it's a question of where you put the focus. Yeah. You know, that there is, um, uh, you really are somebody who's very interested, very um, in in mindfulness. But at the same time, with that came a certain lack of focus on aggression. And you enjoyed developing the aggression there. Um. Well, I think when you come from a background and your ancestors went through war or there was mental illness in your family and ways that you actually push it down, it really causes depression and there's a lot of shame around anger in many, many families and fear of being judged. And really the aggression 
and the expression in modern group analysis actually was a catalyst for joy. Yeah. And I think there's an edge. Um, because many people couldn't stay in their bodies and so therefore aggression that's not relational to one's own inner self-regulation mm-hmm. you know can also be traumatic for people so again um, I loved modern group analysis and I also saw how people who were frozen and scared and frightened could not access their feelings because they weren't in their body yeah yeah so at each method, there's something that was a gift for me, and I guess I have I kept traveling because there was something that I needed, mm-hmm. and I just kept learning, and I had the time and the energy to just keep integrating these things into my practice. So, so you know, as you talk about it this way, I get a sense of, um, in a way, the uh, therapist or the method or the uh, the teacher uh, is going to be like an aspect with which your personality can resonate. So um, definitely you've been looking for, say, the mindfulness part and finding somebody with whom you could resonate and amplify your ability to be mindful. But then there is also a need to find somebody with whom you can relate and resonate and amplify the other aspect, which would be aggression. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is that Every emotion is like a musical note. Mm-hmm. And some of us are introverted, and we really have a deep, deep inner life, a dream life. And some of us really love the world of sensation, and I love the world of mindfulness and sensation. Mm-hmm. And yet the extroverted aspect to life is really expression and relationship and more fire energy, which allows for emotions to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, for me, I think they're both important to me both the expression and the ability to go in and track myself and feel and have choice. Yeah. Um, and so, in that, going back in a way to the ability to go inside and track, you went on to uh, study somatic experiencing. Well, that came actually because several of my clients in my Hakomi practice in New York, when they went into the child, which is a state of consciousness we call in Hakomi, where we contact the inner child, a lot of them would fall asleep or they would go frozen, and mm-hmm. I couldn't stay and talk to them. They weren't able to stay in mindfulness, and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? You know, I really want to stay connected to these people. And so I had met Peter Levine at one of the Hakomi conferences, knew he was a trauma expert. So I actually had the luxury of going and spending a few weeks with Peter and watching him work with my client. And he took him out of freeze states and death states. And um, I really watched how Peter helped his consciousness come back into his nervous system and helped mm-hmm. him feel safe. So, so it came from, it started with a very concrete problem of right. having clients uh, in what you may not even have conceived as a freeze state at the time, but simply noticing that lack of experiencing, that lack of reaction. Right. Mindfulness wasn't available. Hmm. So they would fall asleep. Was I going to do jinshin or body work while they were sleeping? I, what, I was confused. Um, so I needed help. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so what came up from there is not just the practical help, but the different theoretical framework about trauma, about the nervous system. Yeah. Well, Peter talks a lot about trauma being in the body, not in the event. 
Mm-hmm. And and in somatic experiencing, Peter also says you're learning the language of sensation. It's like a brand new language. So um, helping somebody be in the present moment in sensation, which we do in Hakomi, but in the somatic experiencing approach, we did much, much more intricate work with coming out of the freeze responses, working through fight and flight, and helping the nervous system come back into resiliency. Because the message in trauma is that the moment you are in overwhelm, your consciousness freezes and you can't move forward in time. That's why people can be 50 or 60 and have something unresolved in childhood. And so um, it was just amazing to see the patterns, the repetition patterns that could change when you could take someone back to the event where the trauma began and go very slowly through the event, mindfully. So in somatic experiencing, we just stitch. It's, I mean, it's like a first cousin to Hakomi. We stay with contact. Mm-hmm. We stay with feelings. But as soon as we switch to sensation and a person says, I'm feeling heat, I'm feeling dizzy, I'm feeling cold, we slow things down. The, and the other big thing in somatic experiencing was the concept of resourcing, that we never talk about a trauma or take somebody back to repeat the trauma until we know that they are grounded and contained and resourced and feeling empowered. Yeah. And I really loved that. And it goes very well with Hakomi. We're not here to create more developmental trauma. We're here to resolve it. And yeah, yeah. So it's not it's not that there is an antagonism between both, but there is that difference of emphasis about you know the resourcing being very much part of the model of the approach. Yeah, and I hadn't addressed my traumas really in all my therapies, Gestalt, Jungian analysis. Trauma never came up, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I was breached, I was celiac, I was colic, I had casts on my legs as an yeah. infant, car accidents. It was like oh, this whole universe opened up when you came into the world of sensation mm-hmm. um, and and started to go back to unresolved traumatic memories. So again, we come to that point of how the as you study that different approach, it also gives you an exposure to these layers of yourself that you had not necessarily explored uh, to the same extent in other methods, in other ways. Right. And yet I come back to that dream that first dream with my analyst Mm -hmm. and there I was in my body and she was in her body and we were just holding each other and I come back to it's almost like I feel like I'm coming full circle Mm. because um, I think it was Martin Buber who said trauma is a wound at the order of being yeah and therefore a baby comes into the universe in a state of being and in in my feeling the child isn't thinking they're picking up the vibrations from their mother's womb from their ancestors yeah and so if your ancestors didn't feel safe or your mother was anxious you actually don't come in feeling whole and resilient Mm-hmm. And so the need, I think, for me was to really restore my nervous system into resiliency because I didn't come in that way. That's why I have so much passion now around the attachment work. Yeah, and the perinatal work and attachment work. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, again, it's like it was my journey, sort of like peeling the layers of the onion, mm-hmm. you know, from going from my ancestors to my developmental experience to my mm-hmm. family, and then deeper and deeper when you meditate and you're looking for, I guess, more wholeness, you start to study what comes up in mindfulness you get more curious so it was I think during the SE training somebody mentioned Ray Castellino and perinatal birth work and so we took a workshop and it was like five days of really really slowing down yeah um, so it was even slower than Hakomi and it gave a lot of time to track impulses in the nervous system and of course learn I guess we call it imprinting. What was the imprint that was really in the nervous system that in many ways is unconscious? Yeah. I would say it's even before the development of character structure. Yeah. So, again, that slowing down for the tracking. But what you were talking about before was also your interest in attachment. Mm -hmm. So you pursued that as well. Again, yeah, because I think my need was how do you stay in the present moment and love somebody and love yourself? How do you stay in the present moment and let your emotions go through you and not react to the person you're in relationship with? How do we do that? I don't see very many people where we can stay with good boundaries and be intimate with ourselves emotionally and then really open the field to want to know and discover what's going on in someone else. And so I think there's a passion for me around connection, both emotional and spiritual. And therefore, um, I've needed to come back into a relationship with my body where I'm feeling really alive and in flow. And I think that's what babies experience, but they don't know it. Yeah, yeah. And so, so to come back into the attachment place, it's almost like you're coming back to the kingdom of spirit and soul and energy with the aliveness of, of the infant and the curiosity of the infant, but with the consciousness of the neocortex, mm. you know, of the adult. Yeah. And for me, that's the integration of the spiritual and the emotional. Yeah. So back to the uh, flow of the baby, but the consciousness of the neocortex, the adult. Yeah, and I think what I haven't said, and I think Jung has said it, I think it's in all of all of these processes, we're dealing with issues around polarity, you know, a lot. We're dealing with issues around good and bad and love and hate. And, you know, whether it's a symptom in the body that we want to get rid of, Mm -hmm. um, that becomes the enemy. You know, somatic experiencing teaches us that in the symptom is the cure. So you learn how to allow the symptom to come and connect with and what we call the healing board. And emotionally, if we're going to want to really feel, we have to get, some people call it the transcendent function. It's the middle pillar. It's the place where we're not taking sides, mm-hmm. either with ourselves or with another person. So the place of not taking sides, you know, how is it similar to mindfulness? Yeah, I think, I think mindfulness is the ability to stay grounded and centered and aware of what's happening and not be at the effect, have a choice. Um, 
And I think a lot of us are spontaneous, and it's great to have spontaneous feelings like children have in play. But when it can be hurtful or traumatizing, then that's where the wound comes from. Mm-hmm. So those of us that didn't know that, say, we were lovable or we could have our needs met growing up, might have never said we could ask for a need. Yeah. And therefore, maybe we got angry and we couldn't express it. So again, then we have to come back to, can I love all the parts of me? Mm-hmm. Can I accept all the parts of me? So it's not even just about mindfulness. I think it's also about loving presence and having ambition and the willingness to connect with all human experience. And I think, you know, that's my bias. My bias is to feel the dark and the light and get to the place where we're neither polarized in the darkness or the light. Hellinger calls that the greater soul. It's like beyond duality, beyond good and evil. And it's a challenge. Um, It seems to be that is something I've wanted. Yeah, no, definitely in your journey that studying all of these different ways to to um, to resonate with different parts of yourself. And one of them uh, that you studied was biodynamic. Right. As a result of doing the perinatal birth training, um, we were required to go into a biodynamic cranial sacral workshop. And um, so I went there and sort of came full circle. I started to experience states of fluidity and states of peace um, and a real deep resource. Very different um, than going back and forth between a symptom and a resource, but it, like the fluid body and biodynamic craniosacral. Um, and if you read Michael Shea's literature, he talks a lot about the embryo and the origin story, which says that there is a place that's purely healthy and it's before trauma enters in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you say that's a, a state of fluidity, of flow, which is different from the back and forth, the uh, pendulating, the, uh, but something. So do you talk a little more about that? Well, you know, in all spiritual traditions, we talk about the breath of life, you know, coming into the body. Um, God breathes life into Adam. Adam, Adama means earth. Mm -hmm. So the biodynamic approach for me has an integration of the spiritual realm with also the um, physiological realm. Although I'm not a scientist, you know, and I haven't been wired up, but there is a spiritual component. Um, It's like bringing mindfulness to the fluid body, and when you can get to that state, of peacefulness it's almost like everything can flow into the ocean mm-hmm. you know um, so it creates a sense of a container a very deep resource yeah. um, of love and I think from the infant mother wound when a client is sitting with someone who's in that resonance and they're really in a place of that feeling of fluid love call it love, call it peace, it's almost as if their cells sense it. It's almost like transmitting unconscious um, templates to one another. I mean, the client 
is on their own journey, mm-hmm. and we're not, you know, they're in their own organicity, um, and they're in their own journey, but I noticed when I've gone to those places, my clients also have different experiences, so it's almost like where I've traveled, I attract certain people that need to mm-hmm. travel that journey, and I yeah. think we all do that. We people who come into our practice, no, you know, it's no mystery that who comes in and how they're teaching us and how yeah. we're learning and sort of how that happens over time. Yeah, I think it was Jung who said that um, uh, whatever I'm working on, whatever I'm exploring in myself, I seem to find uh, patients who are experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I said to somebody the other week, I said, how come some of us have had to do so many trainings and we just can't stay like in one system? And she said, it's because not everyone needs to do perinatal training or cranial training. We needed it to find wholeness, mm-hmm. you know. So for me, it so maybe that's a good place to say, you know, having had all these experiences and being very much, you know, um, having found beauty and wisdom in all of these things. What happens when you're in a session or in sessions with people? Well. In um, my training, you know, every human being is completely unique. So when someone comes in, the first thing, you know, I'll do is ask them what their intention is. And um, I might take some history, but most people will be referred to me for body psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. They know I do Hakomi. So they're already coming in with an expectation that they want an experiential therapy. And, um, of course, the first thing, you know, is trust and safety and letting them experience me and ask me questions. And then as soon as someone feels that you're really tuning into them and you're making contact and you're helping them turn inward and they have permission to be free, the process sort of has a life of its own. Um, most of my clients come from trauma, either depression or um a lot of different categories of trauma mm-hmm. and so in every case I really want to see what their relationship is with their body can they feel grounded can they feel sensation I might have to teach them mindfulness um, and in the work we slow things down and it's almost you know like I never know from beginning to end what's going to happen in the session because we stay in the present moment and we see what's coming up next for the client what's their intention what am I tracking because we also look at the um, nonverbal cues Mm -hmm. if the head's moving if the arm's moving if we see a feeling coming through Um, I feel like we're in this constant state of birth and connection Mm -hmm. and when somebody comes back into the fluid body and they go I'm home again and I feel whole and they can actually feel the love for the part of the child that was wounded and also feel themselves as the parent there's a unity that starts to happen which I guess what I would say to you after all this training I discovered that I needed to be in recovery for codependency Mm -hmm. because in my family of origin there was mental illness and war and that was a shock to me but I am so grateful for having read Pia Melody's books and now um, helping people come out of codependency 
into self-nourishment, into self-love, into boundaries in their body. And ultimately, we come in alone and we go out alone. And it's really, how do you experience love? Mm-hmm. And how do so you we come in alone, it? we mm-hmm. leave alone, but there's also the connection in between. Right, and if we don't feel the connection with ourselves, the in-between connections can be tumultuous. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what therapy is all about, isn't it? It's yeah. about the the missing pieces of contact between our parents and us. And so in some ways, it's sort of like we're in this journey, I think, a journey of consciousness. Yeah, a journey of consciousness and also a journey for the missing pieces. And when you realize, like the American Indians say, you harvest the gift of the wound, when you can get to the place that not feeling lovable teaches you what love is, Mm. it's almost like we can't take it for granted because as we go through the journey of healing trauma, we expand to so much more aliveness and so much more compassion for other people. But I'm learning what I need from what the absence of not having had it. Now, some people get angry about that, and other people look at it as an opportunity to discover the whole universe. Right, right. Yeah. So, so uh, in a way, your journey, your meetings with these different people uh, in trainings is a journey to learn the things, to find the things that you know you didn't have, but also maybe in a way uh, finding a place, finding the things that you didn't know you didn't have. Right. It's really... The mystery of the unconscious, well, it comes through a dream or um, someone putting their hand on your shoulder and all of a sudden your shoulder relaxes and you didn't even know your shoulder was tense, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's so many parts of the unconscious. So really it's making the unconscious conscious Mm -hmm. is such an interesting process. And um, in Hakomi we talk about, you know, repetitive habit patterns and that's a lot of what um, character structures are. So when you slow down, there's this whole universe to discover, whether you're discovering it through um, sensation or feeling or relationship. Um, yeah. But really, you're, you're getting to know who you are. And as I change on the inside, then how I perceive the world on the outside changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember... I have a confession to make, I guess. When I went to Israel, I walked into Herzog Hospital to help in a trauma training, and my toes froze, and my eyes got tight, and I was able to feel that. I was that sensitive, and I was like, this is really interesting. I'm walking in to help, and yet my body's having a response, a fear response. And so then that became something to be curious about. What mm-hmm. was it that, you know, was frozen in my toes and my eyes that I needed to come back and allow it to discharge so that I could feel safe again? Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's a good place to to, to wrap this up as we end. That sense of that interaction between uh, uh, curiosity, desire to learn, observing what is, and thinking of it as an opportunity to learn and expand and grow through curiosity yeah curiosity is a real gift and I think 
when you are traumatized, it's hard to be curious. But when you have that attitude of curiosity, then you can use any method and start to let mm-hmm. it work for you and, and serve you um, on the journey back into life and wholeness. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're in a relationship, it's better to be curious about why your partner got annoyed at you <laughs> than to react to it and yeah. to be able to be mindful and sort of stay stay resilient and go, all right, tell me what happened that triggered you, right? Mm-hmm. And I would have to be curious yep. about all your feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and my own if I really wanted intimacy mm-hmm. or else we wouldn't have it. Right, right. <laughs> So, um, is this a good place to end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Lori. Thank you, Serge. (laughs) This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.